SQR Podcast, Score Rosenberg. My guest tonight, Kim Copeland, a.k.a. Reverend Yogi. Thank you so much for being here tonight, Mama. Thank you. Namaste. Namaste. I've been waiting all week to use that word. Get brushing up on my yoga. Kim Copeland, a.k.a. Reverend Yogi. She's up next on SQR Podcast, the podcast that's designed to educate entertain and encourage we're gonna dig through her story and find out why is she so passionate about yoga and making an impact on her life and your life sqr podcast for rosenberg kim copeland aka reverend yogi the one take wonder we're up next one amazing <laughs> Bong, SQR Podcast, Score Rosenberg, as we crank in on another epic night. The classic movement, is uh, that's what we're producing tonight, SQR Podcast. My guest is Kim Copeland, a.k.a. Reverend Yogi. Thank you so much for being here. Thank you for bong, having bong, me. Bong, 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 you know, I, I had to just jump right into, you know, you being here. And we had a chance to just kick back behind the scenes. And as I paused... Before I said that, I was wondering, where do I pick up or where do I dig into her story? Mm -hmm. Because as I did the research, your bio is pretty significant. Your journey is profound. Mm -hmm. And the fact that I had a chance to not only hear about your, your class impact on others, but to see you in action was like, okay, this is going to be an interesting podcast. So, namaste. Namaste. I've been waiting all week to use those words. <laughs> Talk to me. It's an honor to have you across from me tonight. Kim Copeland, Reverend Yogi, before we dig into your story, could you share where people could find you and enjoy or be a part of your class? Sure. Um, I have a website, www.reverendyogi.com. Uh, you can also follow me on Instagram. I'm Reverend underscore Yogi. Um, on YouTube, uh, you can practice with me, yoga with Reverend Kim. Um, so any, any one of those places. So as we get ready to crack into this podcast, um, I just want to be straight up on reminding people that Escure Podcast is a podcast that's designed to educate, entertain, and encourage and what we do is we dig into the guest and find out their journey to right now, 2019, 1010. Mm -hmm. And uh, my guest is a reverend. And uh, my sponsor being Heineken, she decided to just stay in the Poland Springs lane. So I'm going to, you know, we're going to kick back and allow her. But I did mention, and I'm so thankful for my, my partner and sponsor, Heineken, on this podcast. We have the double zeros. We offered her everything. We also researched and let her know that Heineken is 93% water. But she said, you know what? I'm going to stay in the water lane. So we respect that. And I, and I salute that. Escure podcast where we drink responsibly and enjoy the Heinekens. As we dig into your story, Reverend, I am fascinated by not only your passion for yoga, but the incorporation of the spiritual mm -hmm. mindset behind that. You know, the relationship. So let's go back to the beginning. <clears throat> when you were, what was the family makeup like when you were born into this world? Uh, so I was born in 1980 to uh, middle-class black parents, uh, two professional parents living in Cleveland, Ohio. 
I was their first child, and um, the feeling, and it later became the motto of our household, was that each generation would introduce its successor to a higher plane of living. So my parents worked hard to make sure that we had a lot of exposure and opportunities, even some that they hadn't had in their childhood. All right, so the, um, the unspoken rule in, on this podcast is when you say something profound, it's called dropping a jewel. And you just dropped a very profound jewel. Let's go back to the anchor of the family. <laughs> say that again. That each generation would introduce its successor to a higher plane of living. If we consciously adapted that philosophy, imagine where we would be. Whose idea was that? Um, so this was the model at my school, at the school that my parents sent me to. Um, they sacrificed and worked hard to send my brothers and I to independent schools. And my mother just loved that. And so it became spoken in our household. It was already lived. Um, but we just um, repeated it all the time and still do. That is amazing. And here's why it's, it's, it's so profound, because it sounded like it was a deliberate action. We go through life sometimes, especially in our family makeup and our running around and our daily routine, and it's not deliberate. You know, we just do things because. And as you explain that and the passion and clarity in which you explain that, it sounds like it was a deliberate action to make sure mom and dad is going to put you in a higher plane mm -hmm. and make sure you are aware that you have to put your... Yeah. Wow. So it was mom, dad. You're the oldest? I'm the oldest. I have two brothers. Wow. Yeah. The stereotypical American household, you know, because everybody else I've had on this show, I've realized that it's a single parent household, but it was mom and dad together, three kids. Mm -hmm. How were you making friends in middle school, high school? What was that like? Um, it was great because I went to the same school from kindergarten through eighth grade. So I really knew all, and it was an all girls school and on average about 30 girls in the class. So we knew each other well, <laughs> <laughs> um, well enough for me to want to leave by the time I was finished with eighth grade. Um, and I transitioned to a high school that was similar. It was, um, it was not all girls, um, but it was an independent school, small class, about 100 students, a little larger, but still small, relatively speaking. And um, they were, it was a group of kids that I'd been in uh, community with through our, um, through our school consortium. So it wasn't difficult to, to make friends. I wanted to, to find out what was the relationship like with your brothers oh. being you, the eldest, the queen of the pack. Yes. Right? <laughs> did, did that respect come along with it as you navigated and grew? Or were they like, oh, let's just rebel against? Oh, sure. So we're my brothers and I are four years apart, each of us. So my brother, who's closest in age in, with me, we were very, we are very close, you know. And um, my youngest brother, when he came along, I was eight years old. So I f just felt very maternal towards him, you know. It, so it was a different kind of... 
um, closeness, but very protective. And he was our little baby that we took care of until, you know, and our relationship would definitely change later on as we grew as adults. And um, so he doesn't care to hear me say that, <laughs> um, but he is very much the man and, and has shown me that in many ways since we've been adults. Um, but we're, you know, very close. They still, you know, they, they got on my nerves a little bit. Um, but, you know, at one point I really could get them to almost do anything for me. You know, you just had to time them. So I'd say, can you go get me this? You know, I'll time you. And they would just run and go do it. So I wow. can't trick them into doing that anymore. <laughs> <laughs> you know, as, as you reflect, as we're digging into these, you know, and, and I see that I'm, I'm sparking like, you know, synopsis are connecting as you're remembering, you know, these things. The household, mom and dad, the brothers, your role, growing up, navigating high school, middle school. Looking back retrospectively, did you find yourself channeling a certain energy? Was it a grandma or? Hmm. Oh, that's interesting. I don't think I had the awareness that young, but coming to me is my, my grandmother, my Ganny is what I called her. She died on my eighth birthday. And I didn't learn that she died. I knew she died, but I didn't know she died on my birthday until years later. My parents didn't want me to know that it happened on my birthday. Um, and then later I was reading the obituary and, and found out. Um, but I think I always channeled her, you know, even today. I mean, I feel that I, I feel her presence as, as well as others too, but, um, but certainly her energy. What's her name? Thelma. Wow. Thelma, well, so I just learned that her middle name was LaFrancis, we think. That's a huge Isn't name. Isn't that a big name? Wow. <laughs> she should be the president of a small island <laughs> with that name. Thelma LaFrancis James, Taylor James. Yeah. It's, it's amazing to be sitting across from you, um, Reverend Yogi, <laughs> and um, hearing you share these little idiosyncrasies in your life that has kind of made these, you know, um, Lego blocks into who you are right now as we take this quick break and um, get ready to um, you know move on through that life cycle and as i said before you know here i want to dig into your life to educate entertain and encourage and through that as we get ready to dig in when you mentioned um thelma and the subconscious or conscious impact she's made on your life when you navigated into the high school, middle school realm? No, let me say that again. High school, from middle school to high school, right? Is there a specific moment of win or failure that you realize that you have to dig into something? I like that breath. Hmm. I like that breath. Hold it. We're going to take a quick break, come back. Escure Podcast for Rosenberg, Kim Copeland, a.k.a. Reverend Yogi. A thought that took her to a deep breath and an exhale. We're going to find out the answer. Up next, one. I don't know the answer. <laughs> <laughs> Boom. Escure Podcast for Rosenberg, Kim Copeland, a.k.a. Reverend Yogi. Uh, blessing to be sitting across from you. The energy you've been transmitting has been, as we say in Jamaica, straight namaste. Mm. You know, I know that's not how those two words are supposed to go together. <laughs> Why not? 
Yo, that's what we do in Jamaica. <laughs> we just, you know, because there's there's like a certain calm and awareness that I'm feeling. So when we're navigating your life, you're growing up and, um, you know, being the queen of two brothers and, you know, the impact your grandmother made on you and moving forward. Now we're in, and I wanted to go back to, I refuse to believe your life has been so tranquil. Right. So let's talk about high school and puberty hitting in. Um, well, I thought about that question and a failure. Um, I was just very rebellious at the, around my puberty ages, you know, uh, 14, 15, 16. Uh, fought with my mom a lot, just challenging, figuring things out. And a moment of failure was I was caught shoplifting at a grocery store with my friends. And um, there, for no reason, you know, we had money. It was for the thrill of it. Um, just, you know, going through the aisles and slipping things, not even paying attention into our pocket. And um, the store manager saw us on camera and they didn't call the police. They called our parents. Ooh. Worse. You, you, probably wish, <laughs> you probably wish they did call the police. And um, at my... Of course, my parents were very angry with me. I was punished. I, you know, I lost everything that mattered to me at that time, uh, mostly which my, was access to the telephone and, and to those friends. Um, but um, more so, I saw the disappointment. And so that would have to change because I wasn't living by our family motto mm. in that season. And, um, and I saw how my parents, who really invested so much, were so disappointed in that moment and concerned about how my life might turn out. Um, based off of the, the decisions that I was making um, at that age. So, looking back, do you think it was because you wanted to fit in? Yeah, absolutely. Which is always the case, right? How stupid is that? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I mean... I was, you know, it was identity. So, I, you know, as I said, I was, um, you know, an independent school. So, I was always one of maybe between five and ten black children in a classroom. So I was trying to figure out for me what it meant to be a black girl and what it meant to have friends. So I would, you know, for instance, my parents would pay for the school bus, but I'd ride the city bus because I just thought that that would be a more authentic experience. Or, I, you know, in this particular case, I'd gone to someone else's school. So I'd left school and gone to someone else's school and gone shopping with those friends from another school. So a lot of it was just identity and trying to figure out, find my place and, and figure out who I was. It seems it seemed as if your parents were so adamant in creating this different lifestyle. And you would go ahead. No, I'm, I'm no, be, no, no, because it seems as if they were creating this lifestyle where they wanted this for you, but you were always going this way. For a season, absolutely. I mean, and and I think Ooh, not a compl- jewel. for a season. Yeah, what a jewel! And I'm sorry, I had to capture that. There's somebody listening to this podcast right now, and the fact that you said for a season, it rang a bell with me. And here's why. The stuff we go through in our life is for a season. And sometimes we either count ourselves out too early. Can I bother you and ask, when do you think that wisdom and awareness came in? Um, I was a debutante. So a, a, a what? A debutante. What does that mean? <laughs> I'm Jamaican. I don't know. I don't know what I mean. I don't know what I mean. So I was in a cotillion. Um, I you was... just even complicated even more. <laughs> I ask you what a big word means. You give me a bigger word. So let's go back to the caveman swagger. Okay. Okay. 
What's a debutante? So a debutante is a young girl whose family is presenting her to society. And so in our community, we had a debutante ball every two years. And it was just a big deal. You know, as a little girl, I'd gone and, and so the girls wear white dresses and, you know, the young men, they're also in high school, wear um, uh, tuxedos and oh, wear, wow. you're trained by a professional ballroom dancer and you do these coordinated ballroom dances. And it's a ball and a big party for the community. And the year that I was a debutante, I mean, we were going into this year, like my mom and I, like oil and water, but she was the chair. <laughs> she was the chair of the ball. And um, How old are you at this age? 17. Oh. And there was just something about that process and going through it um, with my mom. And, and I don't even think I really recognized what it meant at the time, but knowing, knowing that this was a rite of passage in my community. Um, I, something shifted, and I just began to think differently and, and pr behave differently. Okay. Let's go, Granular. <laughs> go back to that moment, the ball, that time. Let's go back. It was bumping head with mom all the time, picking up the dress, correct? No, so we went in. I mean, I I don't know what we had a mother daughter tea. We the dress was lovely. Are you serious? <laughs> I'm sorry. Go yes. Ahead. <laughs> so as one of the activities leading up to the cotillion, we had a mother daughter tea, and um, all of the daughters had to give a tribute to their mother. And so my tribute was "Phenomenal Woman." I recited "Phenomenal Woman" by Maya Angelou. And so something Ooh. in that process just, so it wasn't, you know, by the time we got into the process, like finding the dress was a lot of fun and, um, you know, planning and going through the activities and, you know, all of it was just, that was just our bonding time and our, our coming together differently time. Can I bother you and ask you to recite? <sighs> I can recite some of it, I think. Please. Pretty women wonder where my secret lies. I'm not cute or built to suit a fashion model's size. But when I start to tell them, they think I'm telling lies. I say, it's in the reach of my arms, the span of my hips, the stride of my step, the curl of my lips. I'm a woman, phenomenally. Phenomenal woman, that's me. Toast. That was not only eloquently expressed, Wow. Thank you. And I felt the commitment behind those words. Because there's young ladies out there who don't fit the stereotypical norm. Mm -hmm. But if you own that passage, if you own that lane, wow. So can I bother you and ask, and I, I'm, I'm saying it like third, this is the third time <laughs> I'm using that word bother, but knowing that and feeling that confidence and that preparation is there any time during that process you ever dealt with a self-doubt or insecurity? Oh, sure. All the time. You know, it was a, a lot of the time I felt outwardly confident and inwardly very insecure and, and judgmental. Jewel, say that again, please. I, I felt, you know, outwardly confident as if it were performance, you know, but inwardly felt very insecure, you know, and again, identity, belonging, trying to um, figure out what was beautiful and feel beautiful and in a space where people didn't look like me or, you know, whose hair wasn't like mine, you know, just sort of, you know, all the time. Yeah, I, I had a lot of self-doubt. SQR Podcast, Cole Rosenberg, 
Kim Copeland, a.k.a. Reverend Yogi, being so vulnerable, so transparent. Because people look at you now, and I know there's a couple of people who have taken your classes, and they look up to you as like, wow, I can't believe she's so established. Thank you for being this vulnerable. I want to take a quick break. I want to come back. I want to dig into the transformation from high school to college and the realization of yoga hmm. and the impact it has made on your life and the impact you're making on others' lives. Okay. Kim Copeland, a.k.a. Reverend Yogi, Score Rosenberg, SQL Podcast. One. SQL Podcast, Score Rosenberg, as I cracking on this, you know, third slice of this pizza with my guest, Kim Copeland, a.k.a. Reverend Yogi. And I like the Yogi. You know, I, I would think you'd probably go with Reverend Yoga. Why Yogi? Um, because um, a person who practices yoga is typically called a yogi or a yogini. So, um, and, and the beauty of it is as soon as you start practicing yoga, you're a yogi. Ask your podcast. We're designed to educate, entertain, and encourage. And that's what we do here. I thank you for sharing that. <laughs> As I get ready to crack into the third segment, I just want to take this moment to give a big shout out to everybody that's in the house tonight cheering and be a part of this podcast. The Peanut Gallery, thank you so much, guys, for being here. And I want to slice out this one specific person, um, Lisa, who just flew in from Florida. Thank you so much for being here. The mom of Dan, our son guy that's holding us down so well. Mama, thank you so much for sharing this moment with us. I know you just flew in, you're tired, but I salute you for being here. And thank you for Dan. Boom. <laughs> As we get ready to crack into um, the segment. So we navigated all these waters and we were kind of on the surface on everything. And one of the things I, I didn't get from you is it, I know your life hasn't been kosher all the way. The rebelliousness you shared, which I appreciated, the debutante, the, the, the preparation for that, that rite of passage. Through that, I haven't heard anything about a guy or anybody mm -hmm. that kind of... Talk to me about that. Did you ever experience... Um, in that season of my life, I had different boyfriends and, to, you know, through high school and college, um, maybe a few key relationships that felt really deep and meaningful at the time. Um, but the major impact of a man on my life would happen much later. Let's go to much later. So now you have navigated high school, college. What was your major, by the way? Political science. That's odd. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't know what I wanted to do. Um, I discovered I liked sociology at like the very last semester of senior year. I, you know, you're so young, you don't know what you want to do. Um, but I was a poli-sci major, yeah. Okay. Came out the other end of that experience, now into life. Mm -hmm. Tell me about that guy. So um, his name was Kesner Dufresne. He um, was Haitian-American, and in fact, he called him, himself AHA, Afro-Haitian-American. Um, he was an incredible man. I met him in my 30s. So I met him when I was 30, and he was 35. And um, we believed that we would get married. I mean, he, you know, he'd said to me, I'm dating you with the intention to marry you. He said that to uh -huh. you? Yeah. And I was, I was surprised too. I said, oh, okay. why, why didn't you not run? No, because I think I was ready for it or I was excited about it. I was interested in that and him uh, and very much in love with him. 
Um, and he died. He died um, on June 9th, 2010, and I found him dead. Um, and that really, so that's my moment. <laughs> wow. Mm -hmm. So slow down for a little bit. He died, and you found him dead? Mm-hmm. What, if you don't mind me asking, what happened? He had type 1 diabetes, and it was undiagnosed probably for years. Um, and so he, he had been diagnosed, we knew he had diabetes, he was insulin dependent, but he had lived a very active life, he was an athlete, you know, so he, managing his sugar was not something he was used to doing in his adulthood. Um, so he lived about a year, you know, with the knowledge that he was insulin dependent. Um, in terms of what happened, I, I don't know, I, you know, I, I spent a lot of time thinking about what exactly happened, I think it was a stroke. Um, but he, you know, one day I just couldn't reach him and it was not like, you know, our communication style, it wasn't, um, like us to go so long without being in touch. And I went to his house after work and found him laying dead in his house. My condolences. Thank you. And I don't say that because that's the word you're supposed to say. I say that because I genuinely kind of feel your loss. But you were too casual when you said, I found him dead. Hmm. <laughs> like, what did you do when you walked in? Um, I walked in, and you know, you have this knowing. So I walked in, and I knew something wasn't right. I went up the stairs. I, I looked, and I saw him. I saw that he was dead. But my brain and my heart were not communicating. And so there was a knowing. I knew he was dead. But in my 911 call, I said, he's not breathing, he's in a coma. So they were trying to talk me through CPR, mm -hmm. but he was already in rigor mortis. Um, you know, in, in the Hebrew language, there's this word called for breath or life force, and it's called ruah. I mean, literally, when you're a baby, you know, you breathe it in, and when you die, you exhale it out. And that's what I um, saw, that's what I felt. I saw that almost as if, and his mouth was open, almost as if he had taken an exhale. It was horrifying and profoundly intimate at the same time. And I sat down on the floor. So I made three calls. I called 911. I called my mother in Ohio. And I called um, my one of my line sisters, one of my closest friends. And then I stopped functioning, stopped speaking, stopped eating. And I just sat down on the floor next to him until the, the responders arrived. And then I was detained by the police. It's just a wild story that I guess I'm just very matter of fact about it now. <laughs> um, <laughs> I don't mean to laugh, but it's wild, right? So I was in, and earlier that day, I had been protesting incarceration and um, I had on a t-shirt that said um, nine to five beats 10 to life. So I was uh, specifically protesting uh, the incarceration of women. And then I was detained for seven hours with that t-shirt on um, because the police had to make sure that it wasn't a wrongful death. Um, so it was really an interesting, um, horrifying, shocking, crazy day. Wow. If you were to go back to the morning of that day, hmm. just go back to the morning of that day. You got up, got dressed to go to this protest, correct? Mm-hmm. You spoke to him that morning? No. And that's the odd so I went by his house. So I started to wonder what was going on the, the evening before. So I hadn't, we hadn't talked the night before. And then, um, and I, and mind you, I'd had a scare like this a couple, a few weeks prior where I showed up at his house and he was fine. And he was saying, saying, you know, 
don't worry. And so um, that morning I had to, I was actually going to a conference. Um, There was a conference at Rutgers School of Criminal Justice where people who were working in the field at the time I was working for a faith-based nonprofit that um, helped women come home from prison. And um, so they wanted practitioners who were in the field to come and speak um, at this conference. So I was going to the conference, I was wearing the t-shirt, I was also selling the t-shirt to raise money for our organization. So I had a lot of responsibility that day. But I went to his house early in the morning, and when I drove by the back, I saw that the door was open, and there was garbage um, on the curb, and so I thought, oh, he's just taking his garbage out. You know, he's fine, we'll, you know, something must be up, we'll talk later in the day. And, um, And then when I got back, the door was still open and I walked in and, and that's when I found him and he had been dead for some time because he was in rigor mortis. I, um, I, I, I wanted to be granular about that process because it seems like it was a major impact on your life. Mm. Mm-hmm. And I am curious to find out the, the transition into how were, how, how were you able to assimilate the spiritual walk with the yoga walk? Mm. So by the time that Kesner died, I was already a minister, but I was a minister who, um, I was, my, my faith was not as big as it is today. <laughs> <laughs> and it's going to get bigger. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's going to continue to grow. And that's the point. Um, uh, you know, I, I loved to preach. I loved everything that I learned about Jesus, particularly uh, Jesus as a revolutionary. That was new to me from my seminary learning. Um, But when Kesner died and when all of that happened, I didn't want to have anything to do with God. And my pastor, my minister at the time, came to see me and she said, how are you feeling? And I said, I'm angry. And... um, she said, well, I want you to know that God is big enough for your anger. God is big enough to take it all in. What a jewel. God is big enough for your anger. And I said, well, good, because I'm pissed. <laughs> <laughs> which, is, which, is, which is valid. Mm-hmm. Very valid. I was so mad. I was so mad. I, I um I have to stick a pin here, and as we come back on the fourth and final segment, I am curious to find out how you use that moment as a springboard to be where you are right now and make it the impact that you are right now. Kim Copeland, reverent yogi, transparent, vulnerable, real. Up next, segment four one. Boom, SQR Podcast, Score Rosenberg, as I get ready to, to wrap up on this fascinating podcast. And you know, I, I, I didn't um, take the normal process and you know, big everybody up in a podcast, but tonight as we get ready to close on this, you know, the fourth segment, I want to salute my crew for being here. You know, they, they, they make things happen. Everything's moving at a, at a light speed. So guys, thank you so much for being here and um, you know, for, for us presenting this, this energy, which is SQR Podcast. You know, designed to educate, entertain, and encourage. And we're doing that by dissecting your life. <laughs> Reverend Yogi, Kim Copeland. And thank you so much for being vulnerable as we, you know, go through this walk. And you, you shared, and we, we did a, like a, in Jamaica, we say a hopscotch through certain things and we navigated. But through it all, there was this awareness that you've had. And 
where you are right now, where do you think that strength came from? Because you've experienced more than the norm. So today, the 10th, 10, 19, where do you think that strength came from, that resilience? From God um, and, um, and really going through these experiences. You know, when you hit a canyon, you can kind of stay there on one side of it or you can climb down, you know, there's no bridge, right? You can't fly across. So you can stay stuck or you can climb down deep into that canyon and climb up the other side. And when you get to the other side, you're stronger. Um, you've learned something. Mm, what a jewel. What a jewel. Because guess what? I'm not climbing down that side. <laughs> and I say that to be a devil's advocate for, you know, because when you look, it's a cavern mm -hmm. that I have to go down mm -hmm. into the depth. Now I have to climb up out of that depth. Why would I want to put myself there? So I prefer to stay on that other ledge yeah. and don't move. And to be fair, I should say that I didn't have a choice to say I was thrown into that canyon with Kessner's death. I was just at the bottom of it. So I had to. And I remember thinking, I'm too young to be messed up for the rest of my life. Like, I have to get better. I have to figure out how to get better. That was powerful. The pulling your socks up and your bootstraps and when did that happen how did you recover what was the aha moment for you to go yo i have something better to contribute so um the beginning of my grieving was very much me being taken care of by everybody that loved me friends and family i mean i just felt lifted by hands i mean to the point where i you know got used to it i did a house sat for three years i didn't have to like pay rent anywhere <laughs> <laughs> people you know and immediately after he died my friends were like flying me to town i mean it was quite nice but i was a miserable mess yeah um and something shifted when i shaved my head so i i didn't want to look the same i found that looking the same i i people sort of missed what happened. So I cut all my hair off. I used to wear my hair pretty long. And so then I was a different, I had a completely different look. Slow up. You cut your hair off. Mm -hmm. Why? I don't know. I, I remember the day I did it, I was like, there was this lady talking to me and she was like playing with my hair and she was like, oh, you're so pretty. And I just was, I was like, I wanted my insides to show on the outside. Um, and I, I just made a decision and I went to Target and I cut my hair off. I did it myself. Um, and then later got a shape up. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, um, I am so, what's the word I'm looking for? Here's my daughter. You know, she was in college. She came down into the lobby. They were cutting hair. And she's like, cut my hair. And I know the value mm -hmm. of what women attach to their hair. There's energy in hair. Say that again. There's energy in your hair. I mean, it's been with you, depending on how long you've been growing it. It's been with you. It came out of your body. You know, those were nerves. Um, and I felt lighter. I felt different. You know, um, I, that something... It wasn't all better, but it, something was different. Especially in a Western society where aesthetics mm -hmm. is so prominent mm -hmm. and women having their long hair is so mm -hmm. prominent. Mm -hmm. I salute that. Oh, I didn't. I, I felt ugly. I remember when I looked in that mirror, when I cut my hair and I just stared at myself. I felt so ugly. I'd have to grow into 
um, feeling confident about the way that I look with my short hair. Wow. Yoga. Where did that come into play? So I was on my journey of healing and um, I thought that yoga would be a good idea. You know, I heard, you know, people were doing it and it was good for them. Um, and I was, um, I was in the mountains for a summer and I just really enjoyed taking a yoga class. Um, and so when I got home, when I got back to New Jersey, um, I had to, my living situation changed. I had to move from one house where I was house sitting to another. Um, and in this new community, um, there was a yoga studio that had a Bob Marley class every Friday night. You, a, a what class? A Bob Marley flow class every Friday night. And um, I thought, well, that sounds cool. So I started practicing hot yoga. And I loved it. It was so hard. I remember my early classes, I would be like laying back, like on my back, looking up at everybody in tree pose or doing some pose. And I just, I didn't have the stamina, but I said, I will, you know, I will, you know, I'm coming back. I'm going to do this. I'm going to do this. And, um, I practiced for a month and there was a teacher training and the teacher training ended on June 9th. The graduation day was June 9th. And that's the day I found Kesner dead. And so I thought I can add something to this day. You know, this will be the day that I become a yoga teacher. And I didn't even really want to be, in fact, the, the way that it was sold to me is that because I was a new practitioner, taking a teacher training early on would be good for me because I would learn alignment and I would learn how to practice in a correct way versus, you know, yeah, trying yeah, to yeah. figure it out on my own for years and then doing something like that. So I was open to it without any expectation. And, um, you know, it's a jewel right there. That's a jewel right there. Being open to it with no expectations. Continue. So I, um, when it came time to start teaching, um, it came naturally because I'm, you know, I'm a speaker and I'm a preacher. And so, you know, there's so much talk in these spaces about finding your voice as a teacher. I didn't have to find my voice. And, and I, and I, it just, I didn't know that would happen, but it did. And, um, also what I noticed is that some of the teachers that I enjoyed taking, um, would not just teach, but they would offer an inspirational talk at the beginning. And it usually, you know, could be from a poem or something that they've experienced or maybe something from an Eastern religion. And I thought to myself, well, I've studied the Bible. I mean, I went to seminary, you know, and it doesn't have to be, uh, you don't have to be a Christian to take my class, but why can't I use this body of wisdom and teach from that? Why would I teach from something I know less about when I've spent time studying um, the Bible? So, um, I just naturally in my very first class that I taught to my, my peers in the teacher training, I taught from scripture and I felt like I was preaching the sermon of my life. I mean, it was crazy feeling and I've, and I've preached in, in churches and large spaces and I've, each time I would preach, I'd be like, is that my breakthrough sermon? And I'd be like, no, that wasn't it. And when I, when I, when I went into that yoga room and taught my peers and I taught, um, from scripture and then taught a power class, I was like, that was my breakthrough sermon. Mm. There's something here and I need to, to honor this and to, you know, go deep with power and go deep with this particular style of yoga and, and, and bring all of myself to it. I, um, I have come to learn a couple of students that have taken your class and they've always come back and say to me, her class is different. I wanted to ask, 
Was there ever a moment where you were hesitant of representing your religion or your relationship with God in your class? Sure, absolutely. Um, I remember that, you know, I have a class now called Spirit Flow and, and everybody, it has a special name. Everybody knows that you're going to get some Bible if you go to this <laughs> class. Um, and, uh, but I remember when we were like first exploring the idea and it was scary and there was just like this small little because group Because you know there's a desi design line where you can't, you know, yeah. everybody their own religion, they're atheists, there's this, there's that. Yeah, yeah. And you don't want to, yeah, right? And, um... There was just this small little group of us that kept talking about the idea and saying, you know, let's try it. And um, so we, it started as a once a month class at our Wayne studio, at a, a studio in Wayne. And then, um, then it became twice a month. Then it moved to another studio. Now it's twice a week. Mm. So it's just, it's like you, you know, you have to trust, you know, lean not into your own understanding, but in all your ways, acknowledge him and he will direct your path. Wow. I am I'm very impressed with the connection of spiritual with physical. We're living in a society where the aesthetics are given so much value. You know, people are in the gym all the time. It's just to look good, feel good. But the fact that you're interjecting this jewel, this spiritual connection, is profound. As we get ready to close on this, um, your spiritual journey, um, we kind of danced around. You know, we didn't really go into, you know, when was that connection moment with God? So as I get ready to close, can you bring me back to that moment? Do you remember that moment where you were? The first time that I preached is one that was a big one um i i it didn't want to and when i uh, asked my uh pastor for a letter of recommendation to go to seminary at the age of 25 he said okay um but you're gonna have to preach in the spring and i chose like an 11 a.m service on communion sunday because i was like if i'm gonna do it <laughs> Yo, that know, is, like, if I would have, like, he, like, he opened is, his book, there were all these 8 a.m. services and one eleven. I was like, I'll take the 11. That is and the, <laughs> that's the Super Bowl of services right there. Yeah, yeah, it was. My, both my parents came in town and um, I pre, I didn't know what to say. And I was helping a friend with a paper. She was writing a paper on Song of Solomon and this scripture, I am black and beautiful. O ye daughters of Jerusalem, Jerusalem, like the tents of Kedar, like the curtains of Solomon, do not gaze at me because I'm dark, because the sun has gazed on me. My mother's sons made me keeper of the vineyards, but my own vineyard I have not kept. And my, my, the title of my sermon was, Whose Vineyard Are You Keeping? And um, it just poured out. I remember I was at Starbucks, and it just poured, like, a hat, like it all came to me in a dream, and I just typed it up. Um, and, and when I preached it, it was an out-of-body experience, and I, I just knew that that was another God moment that was, you know, so that was a breakthrough sermon, but then, you know, after that, that the was, next one was with was Yoga. so eloquently expressed. As we get ready to close, my guests are always challenged with these two questions. I have the magic wand, and I give it to you. You have two guests. You have two wishes. Two wishes. Your first wish. My first wish is that everyone would... Um, figure out why they were born, why they are mm. here, and live in that and be confident in that. 
You know, we are, there's no, we are human beings. That's such a rare and precious gift. You could have been a mosquito, an ant, a flea, a blade of grass. There's so many more of them. So the fact that you were born with this, uh, in, you know, with this divine intelligence means that you're here for a reason. And, and often the visions that come back to you, right, are, are meant to be a part of your destiny. So trusting that, trusting the process, allowing it all to happen, you know, so that you're shaped and molded like the potter, you know, I just met, think of the potter and the potter's house shaping and molding that clay you know that's what all of these experiences hardships and 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 blessings they they help to lead us to where we where we're supposed to be and so i my hope is that everybody will trust that you know figure out why they're here and and celebrate that instead of like looking you know to the left and to the right to, mm. to define their experience your second wish world peace <laughs> <laughs> No, that, you know, as, yeah, as, you know, yeah. as, as, as nonchalant or as, as you know, you know, braggadocious or as, as huge as that is, that is significant. So as we get ready to close here, we had the, um, the production team here on our screen and design team make you the shirt as an official yeah. guest on our podcast. So I we want to give you that. Thank, Thank you so much you. for being here. You know, it's your podcast for Rosenberg. We have a design team that is just phenomenal. So big shout out to War, Julio. You know, Hector, who are spearheading that. We just wanted to give you that shirt for being a guest on the show. Thank you. And for being so honest in your story and your journey. We get ready to close. Remind us where we can find you, how we can tag into you, where you're giving classes, and how we can connect with you. Sure. So, um, reverendyogi.com. You can follow me at reverend underscore yogi. On Instagram, I teach at Powerflow Yoga and Jai Pure Yoga and... Um, the yoga ground. You can also take my class online on YouTube, uh, yoga with Reverend Kim. And if you want to hear more of my story, you can go to my blog, uh, www.thankyouverysweet.com. Also a podcast on Spotify. <laughs> Thank you. Very sweet.com. And, um, as we get ready to close Reverend Yogi, is going to bless us with a yoga sesh where she's going to get your, shit together <laughs> mentally spiritually and physically stay tuned ask your podcast go rosenberg kim copeland reverend yogi namaste namaste Bomb. <laughs>Hello, my name is Kim Copeland, also known as Reverend Yogi. I am a yoga teacher and a minister. You can find me on Instagram at Reverend Yogi, uh, Reverend underscore Yogi, and you can practice with me on YouTube at Yoga with Reverend Kim. And before each practice, I like to give um, an inspirational uh, talk and something that helps me through my practice. And so um, just want to invite you to into contemplation with my favorite scripture, which is Proverbs chapter 3, verses 5 and 6. Trust in the Lord. Lean not into your own understanding, but in all your ways acknowledge him, and he will direct your paths. We're gonna do a quick warm-up, and this is something that I do in the mornings, and I invite you to practice with me just a few minutes. And we'll start in child's pose. So I'm gonna come off of the blocks that I am sitting on and just put them off to the side, and I'm gonna start uh, on all fours. I'll bring my knees to the outer edges of my mat, big toes together to touch. Press sits bones back towards the heels, stretch arms out long in front. And just take a few moments to ground down here on the mat. So, 
Feel your points of connection to the earth. Feel your shins rooting down, the tops of your feet, the palms of your hands as you inhale and fill the back body. And exhale, release the breath and let it go. Let's take one more breath here. Inhale, fill up. And exhale, let it go. On your next inhale, find tabletop on your mat. Bring your wrists underneath your shoulders, knees underneath your hips. Find a neutral spine here. And we're going to take a few cat and cow breaths. So as you inhale, tuck your toes, lift your chest and tailbone and gaze up. And then exhale, untuck your toes, round your spine and gaze at your belly. Inhale, sternum up, tailbone up, gaze up. And exhale, round your spine, gaze at your belly. One more here. As you inhale, lift your chest and tailbone. And exhale, round your spine, gaze at your belly. On your next inhale, come back to neutral. Walk your hands out in front of you and spread your fingertips well. You want your wrist creases to be parallel to the front edge of your mat. And then tuck your toes, lift your knees, and lengthen your legs. And let's find a downward-facing dog shape. And everybody just can take a moment to arrive in your dog. I like to pedal my knees, finding length in the backs of my legs. Maybe you move your hips from side to side. Find length in your spine, length in the back of your neck. Inhale. Exhale, one. Inhale. Exhale, two. Inhale. Exhale, three. Inhale, exhale, four, inhale, exhale, five, and let's add some more movement. So as you inhale, roll forward to plank, and then exhale, press back and up, downward facing dog. Inhale, roll forward, high plank, and exhale, back and up, downward facing dog. One more time, inhale, roll forward, high plank, Just this time holding plank through three, and two, and one, and then packing up, downward facing dog. And then I'll just walk my hands back to my feet, bringing both heels to the floor, just finding a gentle forward fold to calm the nervous system and slow the heart rate, finding the balance between effort and ease, inhale, Exhale, three, inhale, exhale, two, inhale, exhale, one. On your inhale, lengthen your spine, and exhale, fold. And now rooting down through the feet, inhale, arms up overhead, reach and gaze at your thumbs, and then bring your hands to prayer at your heart and release. So that's just a little bit of what we do. Again, you can practice with me on YouTube at Yoga with Reverend Kim. You can also find me on my website at reverendyogi.com. Namaste.